We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Kilkenny Today on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Yes, and hello and welcome to another Kilkenny Today. And uh, you're tuned in, you're tuned in with myself and Nolan and I'm here with you for the next hour on today's show. And uh, another packed show as always on Kilkenny Today. And if you want to get in contact with the show, please do so on the phones on 056-77-627-77 or on the text line 86 353 double seven eight two and we are streaming live around the world on www.communityradio.kennycity.ie and you just click on the listen live button and you can listen in on the show and uh, if you want to get in contact like I said please do so and have your say on the show and uh, like uh, as well I said it's uh, another packed show today and uh, I'm going in a few moments I'm going to be speaking to the CEO of Alone, Sean Moynihan, and uh, he, he'd be asking for long-term support for older people living in Ireland. And then uh, later on in the show as well, I'll be uh, speaking to Gillian Fanning, who is the new president of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry. And that is to discuss her new role as president and was elected only yesterday. And then uh, later on in the show, I will be airing an interview by my colleague, uh, Morris O'Connor, uh, where he speaks to Agnes Rafferty, who is the public affairs manager with OnPost and about what OnPost are doing in the whole COVID-19 pandemic and the help and the supports that they are giving to people out there as well is doing an amazing job as they do and also as well I will be airing an interview by Morris O'Connor as well with Mervyn Taylor who is the Executive Director of SAGE Advocacy Ireland and it's in relation to the issue of next of kin but like I said I'm going to now speak to Sean Moynihan who is the CEO of Alone. Alone, the organisation which supports older people, is calling on the incoming government to implement long-term supports for older people who have been affected financially by COVID-19. On the phone now, I am joined by the CEO of Alone, Sean Moynihan. So welcome to Community Radio, Kilkenny City, Sean. Thanks very much. Good to be here. First of all, Sean, maybe give me a little bit of a background about Alone and what the organisation do for the elderly people in Ireland. Well, what we do is we support older people to age at home. And how do we do that? We coordinate support, whether that's housing, healthcare, transport, loneliness, for the older person to try and address any issues they're having ageing well in at home and in the community. We also have over 2,500 volunteers that do everything from phone check-ins to weekly to daily phone check-ins to weekly visits to also linking people into activities in their community to combat isolation and loneliness, but also to get practical support around transport and logistics. 
And at the top of the interview there, we mentioned that alone are asking the incoming government for long-term supports for the older person. What kind of supports can be implemented by the government for the older people in Ireland? Well, I think we are, We obviously know we're going through a very traumatic time at the moment. And, you know, so much of <coughs> organisations like ourselves, local authorities, other groups, we're all working really hard with friends, families and older people to protect those who need support in the community. But as we've gone through the different phases of this, our support lines and our staff and people with support, huge amount of emphasis on COVID-19 for several weeks, a lot of emphasis the last couple of weeks around other healthcare issues, loneliness, depression, chirocity, um, all these things. And now really what's coming through after people cocooning for 12 or 13 weeks is really people struggling with household bills, people struggling with household maintenance issues. And really with a government on the way in, we really want to keep the pressure on that ultimately is, is that we keep pressure on for a good pension for older people, knowing that the current pension is literally on the poverty line, and so ultimately is, is it's, not, it's something that people deserve and need to live a quality of life. And you mentioned there as well about anxiety and depression and the financial difficulties that um, can be caused by the COVID-19 pandemic on the older person it can have detrimental effects on their mental health. Absolutely. You know, people's housing, health, uh, finances, it's all linked together. And if people are struggling with their houses, their, their, their health can suffer. If they're struggling with loneliness, their mental health will struggle for as well their physical health. And obviously, if you're struggling with anxiety around how you're paying the bills, you know, how, how, how are you maintaining your house, that ultimately is, is that has huge knock-on effects on your mental and physical health. And I think, you know, we, we, we need to look at a situation that... I think the whole thing as we're going into a place now where there's going to be reviews and dark committees and reports and all this into what's happened during the pandemic. I think the big thing that will come out is is that we've underinvested in supporting older people in the community, whether that's in uh, home care, whether that's in housing, whether that's in support or whether that's in the pension. I think that will, will be ultimately the big thing that will come out of all of this. And you mentioned there as well about the state pension and it's €120 per week. Surely that is not sufficient enough for any one person to live on? Well, the current pensions, the the current uh, pension is, I think it's from around 235 to around 250, right? But what I'd say to you is, especially in rural Ireland, right, that's really, um, there's a, when you mention pensions, there's always stats and metrics and percentages, which in some ways is a bit off-putting for us all. But there's a, a measurement that's called the minimum essential standard of living. And they figure the, the pension only meets around 80 to 85% of that in rural Ireland. So people are rising on the poverty line and really not getting the minimum essential standard of living that ultimately is defined in the state. So I think we've got to realise that as we're just pushed up the pension rate age and all of these things going on, that a fiver every couple of years really isn't going to keep people well and safe in the community where they want, where we want them to be. And you mentioned about uh, people living in rural Ireland and 
as we know, people living in rural Ireland, especially the elderly, they're going to need some form of transport to get about. Um, so it means a lot of them buying a car, which is extra expense. I, I think, uh, ironically, the, the, the urban areas we work in up and down the country can actually be more lonely. You know, people tend to be more kinking, but the big issue that always comes up in, 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 as we work across the country in rural areas is the transport, the cost of transport, the lack of availability of transport. And so huge amount of work done by our volunteers and giving people lifts to medical appointments, helping out with that. But ultimately, is, is you know, the cost of running a car is also why people in rural Ireland are below the minimum essential standards of living. Do alone have maybe a, a few volunteers within the organisation that can go out and maybe do a bit of plumbing or electrics or gardening or help around the home of an older person? Is that something that alone would provide? Well, what we provide is, right, is that if anybody rings us, we, we do it, as I said, support and support. It doesn't matter if it's a housing issue, it doesn't matter if it's a health issue, doesn't matter if it's a transport issue, doesn't matter if it's a loaning issue or an advice issue. We're here to help people process and stay at home and support them and wrap around, whether it's our services or wrapping around other services. And absolutely, if people have challenges around any of the areas of their lives, we're here to support them. Up and down the country, we're working with all the local authorities at the moment through the local community forums for COVID-19, but we've, which we've always done anyway. But we really that's pushed on an awful lot, and we're working with 68 other organisations at this time to basically coordinate supports so that we're sharing resources and we're addressing the issues. So in some ways, we're a point of contact to a world of support if people need it. And Sean, if there was one thing that you could ask the new government, what would it be? Like if you could sit down with the government and just say, well, like this is what we need. What exactly would you ask them for? I think the thing we'd ask them for is we have an ageing population, which is really great news. Right? People are living longer for healthier. And not all older people are saying, a lot of them are hugely active. But we then have people, some of which are frail and isolated and lonely and poor health. What we need is the government, uh, several years ago, developed a thing called the National Positive Ageing Strategy. And the idea was that we would plan and work across all different types of older people, all things, and have a plan where we would respond to that. That strategy has never been implemented and it has never been funded. So if I one, one ask, it would be to take the elements of that because that is everything from transport to housing to health and ask them to implement that and or take it and implement, you know, define structures to make it happen because that's what's going to ultimately um, you know, make it possible to age at home, but also bring joy and life into the community regardless of what age people are or whether they're active in old age or, or maybe in some cases where people are unwell, you know, so that we, everybody has a right to a positive old age. Sean, if somebody wants to get in contact with um, Alone and maybe seek advice or help or they know of somebody who is an elderly person maybe living on their own and they feel that, right, this person might need some support, how can people contact Alone? Well, Ari Geddes is the, uh, if you ring 0818-222-024 and then ultimately is, is whether it's an older person themselves need some advice and support 
and some people who've never needed advice and support need it now. So please ring us, or if people have a concern, to ring the, to ring to ring the same number and, or about somebody who's living locally, and we'll do our best we can. Well, Sean Moylehan, uh, CEO of Alone, thank you very much for taking the call today on Community Radio Kilkenny City. We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. And if you've just tuned in, you're tuned in to Kilkenny today with myself and Nolan. And if you want to get in contact with the show, please do so on the phones on 056 77 or on the text line 086-353-7782. And we are streaming live around the world on www.communityradiocalkennycity.ie and you just click on the Listen Live button uh, to hear the show uh, going out as it is. And uh, now, uh, earlier, before the show, or before the interview, or the... Sorry, pardon me. Before the ad break there, I played um, an interview where I caught up with Sean Minahan, who is the CEO of Alone. And if you want to get in contact with Alone, uh, their number is 0818-222024. So it's 0818-222024. And uh, they are there to offer help and support for older people living in Ireland. And uh, um, earlier on, my colleague, uh, Morris O'Connor, he spoke to Mervyn Taylor, who is the Executive Director of Sage Advocacy. And it is about the uh, misunderstanding of people when they hear the phrase next of kin. And uh, this is the interview between Mervyn Taylor and Morris O'Connor. Um, before we get on to Sage Advocacy, and we, we will talk about what you do in Sage Advocacy and what, what that organisation is all about, um, I, it's, it's bound to be the case at the moment that there's loads of people going into to hospital, unfortunately, um, with coronavirus, and I'm sure them and their families and anybody indeed who's been admitted to a hospital will be familiar with being asked um, a question, can we have details of your next of kin? And that particular thing is what I believe Sage Advocacy is kind of highlighting the problematic uh, nature of that particular question and how people may be misinterpreted. So just tell us about that and your perception of that particular issue, Mervyn. Sure, Morris. I mean, the, the key issue here is that um, our concern is that we've always had a concern about the use of the term next of kin because uh, there's a lot of pop- popular myths about it and misunderstandings. But it, we have particular concern about it at the moment because sensitivities are heightened and uh, there's huge pressure on the health services. And we find that sometimes people who believe that they or know that they are next of kin have a belief that they have decision-making powers uh, which they don't have and they can therefore get involved in all sorts of time-wasting arguments with health and social care uh, professionals and mm. it, it causes an awful lot of distress and so we're saying look the term next of kin has no legal meaning uh, other than the fact that it's a, somebody that you contact in an emergency uh, mm. Most people understand that, but there's a significant number of people, more than half of people we polled in the Red Sea call, actually believed that being an extra kin actually gave you 
some decision-making powers with regard to healthcare. And that's where the difficulty comes in now, whereby mm. you might have somebody uh, arguing that they want everything done uh, for their mother or their granny without mm. any understanding of what that doing everything might actually be quite yeah. cruel. Um, are, are you getting a lot of anecdotal evidence then Sorry? in context from people um, telling you that this is like this next weekend thing is causing me awful grief? Yes, I mean, like, I mean, we've actually seen situations uh, where people have used the term because they had the view that being that that being nominated as or being called a next of kin conferred some decision making power on them. They actually. Uh, in our view, they effectively coerced somebody into signing a document which appointed them next of kin. Now, it, it had no meaning. And mm. what they wanted to do was to remove somebody from a place of care where they were quite happy, but they felt they should be somewhere else. And this is just one simple example of yeah, the way in yeah. which people can use this term and can go into meetings and argue that, you know, they're the next of kin, as if they had, you know, the same powers as a power of attorney. Um, so, it, 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 like, it's a simple thing. That yeah, it nearly, like in in, nearly, nearly sounds like something in the wrong hands or in misinterpreted can give somebody, kind of with a bit of, you know, not the best of intent, a bit of quite a cover for quite bullying and abusive behaviour, perhaps. No, that, that you put it very well, um, and I, I think that our concern is just let's drop that term and let's just have the term, des- you know, designated person, so that in the event of an emergency, you know, emergency, serious illness or death, who would you like uh, contacted? And then there's a, a, mm. a second question, which I think is very helpful: is um, who would you like information about your condition shared with? Now that's particularly important because. Uh, sometimes you have um, and particularly at the moment there's an awful lot of distress around people not being able to get through to care facilities because they're very busy or there's no, you know, they've had an outbreak of COVID in a nursing home and there's nobody actually available to answer the phone so you Mm -hmm. might have a whole lot of family members trying to ring in so it might be preferable that somebody would say, you know this is the designated person to be contacted and then they can take responsibility for contacting others yeah. Um, yeah. Have you, have you really, put that, people don't have time at the moment. Put that proposition, Mervyn, to healthcare professionals to see, like, are they would they be comfortable with asking those kind of two questions? Who's your designated contact? Well, we, 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 we know of, uh, sure, we know of one hospital where there's um, at least one where they had already used those two questions, um, and there's an increasing um, kind of awareness now that the term next to kin needs to be dropped. Um, the only way that we think it will effectively be dropped uh, is when they change the screens for recording uh, data electronically and they change the, the paper system. And I think one of the, if there can be said to be any positive coming out of uh, this COVID-19 crisis, is that it will put a greater emphasis on ele- electronic files over paper files, purely from the point of view of hygiene. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. therefore, once you change it on the computer system, like that's the only question that's ever going to be asked again.
Yeah, and I suppose it's an opportunity to raise awareness about a problematic um, issue like, like this one, as you are doing um, yourselves and your, your colleagues in SAGE advocacy. Um, and just w before we close out and I just talk about SAGE advocacy for, for a couple of minutes, just in case people are wondering, um, the obvious kind of question then arises, just, well, who does have any kind of legal authority in relation to um, somebody who may be ill and in, in hospital. Um, I know from, from kind of my own family situations around having had a general power of attorney and uh, mm. maybe an enduring power of attorney, that is, that's what you really need, that road. You need to really need to go down that road with um, a relative or a loved one to to have legal authority, isn't that right? Well, I mean, there are, there are different ways of doing it. I mean, first of all, a person can... Um, their wishes. I and mean, if you're going into a certain, say, a residential care facility, you'll normally have a care plan. And part of that will uh, set out your wishes in the event, say, of end of life care. Um, there's also a very good resource from the Irish Hospice Foundation, Think Ahead, which guides you uh, through according your wishes. And it has a very good slogan Think, Talk, and Tell. Um, there's enduring power of attorney, but bear in mind that current uh, the current system of enduring power of attorney doesn't have the same powers as the as are proposed uh, under the Assisted Decision Making Capacity Act of 2015, which will not be fully commenced until probably next year, 2021, and it will have a you know there will be greater powers available for uh, powers of attorney in relation to healthcare. And there's also the area of a designated healthcare representative, which you would appoint somebody under an advanced healthcare directive. Um, they will be recognised formally in law. Um, they, it's arguable that they are at the moment, uh, indeed, and some people do have them, but they're formally recognised under the new legislation. So you'd have, there's a range of options there. I mean, everything from a simple statement, this is what I want, to the care plan, to think ahead, to EPA, and to advanced healthcare directives. Yeah, and I suppose just going back to your your fundamental point and what you're trying to highlight or raise awareness of with uh, within Sage Advocacy, this idea that next of kin has absolutely no um, legal standing or or meaning, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people would be quite interested to hear. And, and while we're on talking about Sage Advocacy, you might just t tell us a little bit about Sage Advocacy because I, I did sign up recently to. Um, your your weekly email and um, it, there's there's lots of good stuff in it around uh, around um, you know issues that are particularly important to elderly people even things like at the moment uh, cocooning and just that really cocooning really like a voluntary imprisonment or is it just, you know what's consent <laughs> you, how, how you, do we, do you've we need clearly to been reading it. our treatment yeah. all that um, you know and the impact of COVID nineteen on on, on 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 your clients and stuff so give us a quick flavour of what it is you do in Sage Advocacy. Yeah. Um, St. Advocacy was founded in 2014. It was um, the product of the, H the HSE, some very enlightened people in the HSE, uh, supported by joint funding from the Atlantic Philanthropies for a five-year period, and subsequently that was taken over by the state. Um, so we are uh, largely uh, funded by the HSE, but very independent of it, and we have asserted that independence quite a number of occasions um, and should I say that it's very often a lot of our business if you want to put it that way our clients are referred to as by the, the HSE growing numbers in fact um, we're there for vulnerable adults older people and healthcare patients and in uh, so we would deal with people 
for example, just to take some stereotypical situations, a person with an acquired brain injury uh, or stroke in the, in the in their 40s, um, yeah. somebody with MS in their 50s who's in a nursing home that doesn't want to be there. Um, we might be dealing with somebody who is trying to get out of a nursing home or get out of a acute hospital and get a home care package. Or we could be dealing with a mother who has uh, had a very difficult experience uh, with and, and lost a baby in a maternity hospital. And it's really yes. upset by the way by things that have happened. So, and we were involved uh, in the cervical check, uh, the ORCOG review, the Royal College of Gynecologists. Um, and that's, uh, that we have a pretty wide brief um, and we are very like stretched in our work. But uh, mm-hmm. we have a dedicated team of people all around the country and we're, uh, we're very active at the moment, despite the fact that we're all in virtual mode. Yeah, and are you, are you HSE funded or self-funded or mixed? No, no, as I mentioned, Maris, we're HSE funded, um, but we are, by our, by our very nature, we are uh, with independent governance, um, and uh, it is like we would, um, in many ways, uh, be, a lot of our business comes from sections of the HSE who are concerned about the actions of or the impact of other sections of the HSE. No, so we've got quite, concept, there's, there's quite a creative tension at times. Mm. But we do have uh, a very clear uh, approach, which is that we collaborate where possible, but we challenge where necessary, and we have challenged. Great. And uh, just, again, in case listeners are interested in and can, can relate to uh, or are in the categories that you're talking about, particularly either vulnerable adults or older people or healthcare patients experiencing, as they think, some adverse conditions and treatments, um, you have you do have a, a, a telephone line for um, s- yes, support indeed. services for anybody who's interested? Yes, we have an information and support service and a rapid response service, and it's contactable on 1850-7194-00. That's 1850-7194-00. And you can contact that between 8 in the morning and 10 o'clock at night. Just leave a message and we'll get back to you very quickly. If it's very urgent matter, we can have a SAGE representative anywhere in Ireland with you within 24 hours. Well, that's very comforting and great, um, great service to be able to offer. Long, long may that continue and indeed expand nationwide. And I also should, before I let you go, um, Mervyn Taylor, Executive Director of uh, Sage Advocacy, um, I really should compliment you on uh, the copywriting on the strap lines on your website. Um, you have a lovely set of images and all sorts of little uh, taglines going with them from imagine not being yourself. Losing your marbles is one thing. Having them stolen is another. Uh, I love it. Not everyone is happy in a nappy. You know, there's, there's some great, I know very serious points behind this but there is some very no, I mean, engaging it, it, and activating it's great, uh, strap lines it's great and thank you for highlighting it Morrison could I just use before I close could I just mention we have a superb uh, regional coordinator uh, in the southeast, Caroline Hanley and she'll be familiar to a lot of people in Carlo Kilkenny and uh, she can be contacted through the 1850 number and is very anxious to be of service to the people in the thank southeast God. Can people ask directly for her then if they if they do phone up? Yeah, well, once once we know the area, it automatically right. would get uh, right. referred right. down to Caroline. Right. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, eighty-eight point seven FM. 
Gillian Fanning, who is a marketing director of automotive distributors Surfac Limited and based in Dublin, has been elected as the president of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry. She is the first female president of the organisation in 98 years of its history. On the phone now, I am speaking to Gillian Fanning. Uh, so welcome to Community Radio, Kilkenny City, Gillian. Thank you, Anne. So, Gillian, congratulations, first of all, on your new position as the president. How do you feel about the fact that you are the first female uh, of this organisation in its history of 98 years? Um, well, I'm, I'm delighted and, and honoured to, to take on the role of MI president for the next year. Um, I think it's fantastic that there's a woman in the role after 98 years. Um, and uh, I, I think it's great for the industry. Um, there's a lot of women working in the industry. Um, we're trying to uh, encourage more women to join the industry. And overall, I think it's a very positive development. And you, to date, you have a background in communications and marketing and you worked for such companies as Guinness and Diageo and Bank of Ireland, just to name but a few. So you're very experienced in the role. Um, yeah, well, my background originally um, was in, in communications and marketing, um, but I joined uh, my family business back in 2009, which is uh, Surfact, the automotive distributor. Um, so I've been back in the industry now for 11 years. And what is it like uh, being in that sort of a role or that sort of a background of being in the, in the motor industry and being a male-dominated industry is it harder an easy task for a lady um to be honest uh i've never uh really found it any different than working in the other industries that i've worked in um look i think everybody has their jobs and everybody gets on with their jobs and um you know yes it's definitely a male-dominated industry but uh i don't think it's really different to working in any other industry and in the past decade, the motor industry um, has seen a lot of difficulties. How do you feel in relation to that? Um, obviously, the, the motor industry in Ireland suffered badly um, during the 2008 financial crisis. And uh, I guess since then, we've been trying to, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, get better. Um 2020 started off very well and I think we had reason to be to be positive um, but unfortunately COVID-19 has since had a pretty devastating effect on the industry and uh, we now have a completely new set of challenges And do you think that maybe once COVID-19 has maybe ceased and, and everything does get back to some sort of normality, do you think the motor industry will see an increase maybe in sales or an in increase in part sales? Uh, well, I think so. And um, I mean, we've been back now uh, at work since the 18th of May, um, albeit operating under very, very different conditions um, in, in line with uh, health and safety protocols. But certainly the feedback that uh, I've had for the last um, week or 10 days since the uh, industry has been back at work has been quite positive. 
So yes, we would certainly be hoping to to see a big uplift in sales over over coming over coming months. Certainly, um, like any other industry, it's hard to know how things are going to pan out when things do return to normal or return to the new normal. Um, but certainly, uh, we would be hoping that uh, we would we would be hoping that the the year would certainly improve from here on in. And part of the industry as well as the NCT centres and like a lot of other places, they have been closed and there is no sign of them opening as of yet. So how do you feel in relation to the NCT centres being closed? And it's it's more than like just a business, really. It's It's going down to an important issue of road safety as well. Absolutely, um, and um, we don't have a date for the reopening of the NCT centres yet, but uh, we're pressing for the earliest possible reopening um, of, of the NCT testing, um, even at a reduced capacity that would allow for health and safety protocol. As you said yourself, um, it's not just a business issue. Um, obviously, NCT uh, centres being open is important to our industry, but it isn't just a business issue. It's also uh, an important road safety issue, um, particularly in light of the fact that um, cars, you know, a lot of cars have been actually off the road for the last couple of months with people isolating and uh, and staying at home. So, you know, there, there's definitely road safety implications there that need to be considered. And as I said, uh, uh, getting the NCT testing centres open is a priority for SAMI at the moment. And also as well for the fact that if the NCT centres are closed, it means then that they, the likes of the motor factors, places that are selling car parts, it means that they are not getting the business either. So it's, it's a continuous role of negativity in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there it has repercussions really for all areas of, of the industry, uh, right through from from car sales right back to uh, motor factories, garages, um, and uh, and parts distributors. And do you think maybe in in the second half of the year that you maybe will see some form of an increase in sales now that a lot of places are slowly coming back to normality and opening up again? Yeah, well, certainly that would be that would be the hope, and um, I think people's reluctance to use public transport uh, will mean that they will be. Um, paying closer attention to their cars um, and hopefully maintaining their cars better um, and hopefully again that will translate into an increase in sales also um, uh, we've been hearing um, news from China that the dealers are doing particularly well there since uh, since the COVID-19 restrictions have been lifted um, because again people are, are less keen to use public transport, they're going to be relying more on their own personal uh, cars going forward. So something positive is going to come out of a whole lot of negativity in the end? Um, well, you know, from, from an industry point of view, yes, we would certainly hope so. And Gillian, what do you uh, expect then with your job uh, for the year going forward? Um, what challenges or what expectations will you have or do you have in relation to being appointed the president? I think um, our immediate priority um, has to be to continue to support our members 
Um, and, uh, you know, at the moment we are talking to um, government uh, departments and ministers to um, ensure that the, the supports, the business supports that are already in place um, are uh, extended. Uh, and those would be things like the um, the COVID-19 wage subsidy scheme. Um, we're also looking at things like, um, you know, uh, cancelling commercial business rates until business activity returns to normal um, and also a, no, a number of other stimuli designed to, to kickstart the industry again. Um, so these are all, there's a number of ideas been proposed and we're currently discussing them with, with government departments and, and other key stakeholders. And do you think that you will get a positive outcome from those discussions? Um, yeah, I mean, government, you know, have always been, we've, we've always had a very positive relationship with government. Um, you have to remember, obviously, they, there's a, a, a strong uh, tax take from the motor industry. Um, every time a car is sold, obviously, um, contributes to, to, to the government's um, finances. Um, so they've always been very supportive of, of, of us and of the industry generally. And then in your role as the president, what challenges do you think you'll see or do you think you'll find uh, going forward in the year? Um, do you think it'll be a successful position or do you think you'll have some challenges along the way? Um, look, I think there's no doubt um, there's challenges in every role. Um, there's, there's always challenges in the industry. Um, I mean you know, pre-COVID-19 challenges. Um, there were the challenges of meeting um, the quite stringent uh, EU uh, targets in terms of the adoption of electric vehicles and meeting um, emissions targets. Um, there's obviously ongoing, you know, business issues uh, in the industry. Um, Brexit obviously was a huge concern for us for the last couple of years. Uh, we've seen a lot of imports for example, of older cars coming into Ireland from the UK market, which has affected our industry here. Um, you know, obviously, most recently we've had COVID. So I think the, the challenges are certainly there and the challenges will keep coming. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a, a challenging 12 months. Well, Gillian, no doubt you'll be well able for the, the challenge because you were appointed to the role as president and rightly so and um, again just want to wish you congratulations and uh, hopefully you'll have a very very successful year. Thank you very much Anne. Gillian Fanning, the new president of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry in Ireland uh, thank you very much for taking the call today on Community Radio Kilkenny City Yes, and if you are tuned in, you're tuned in to Kilkenny today with myself and Nolan. And uh, now, uh, Unpost are an organisation in Ireland for who have been in operation for hundreds of years. And not only do they deliver letters and parcels, but they also deliver um, much needed um, support and uh, a chat to people who may find themselves isolated. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, they have been... Um, stepped up to do to the mark and have been outstanding in what they do and in relation to their jobs and everything that they're doing to support people in Ireland. My colleague Morris O'Connor caught up with uh, the uh, Public Affairs Manager Agnes Rafferty from On Post and this is what Morris had to say with Agnes Rafferty. 
I'm very pleased to be joined on the line by the Public Affairs Manager for Unpost, an organisation who's at the heart of the community, particularly out here in um, rural communities um, outside of the, the Grand Metropolis. And we will mention the Grand Metropolis later on in the chat with Angus Laverty. And it's very good to have you join us, Angus. Thanks a million. Hello, Morris. Good to talk to you. Uh, so Angus, um, yeah, I was just mentioning on Post, obviously, an organisation that ever since its establishment has been really kind of at the heart and the part of the pulse of the, the beating community, um, you know, all, all over the country. And uh, you've kind of rode in with uh, some new initiatives around supporting the community at the, the, this time of crisis. Um, maybe just give us a quick run through um, what those are. Indeed, I mean, this is a, a difficult time for, for everybody and what our staff, our frontline staff on, in post offices and on postal routes all over the country came back to us to say um, they've been looking out for our customers for, for, for years, for generations even, saying, listen, we're, we're looking out for customers now at a difficult time. We should really put some structure and some shape around this. Um, and they approached ourselves and their own union, which is the Communications Workers Union. And luckily we were able to put together some, some services that... Uh, build on the good work already done by our staff in communities all over the country. The first of that is probably um, what we're calling a check-in service, which is where postmen and postwomen all over the country are just keeping a, a general eye out for the, the vulnerable in their community. Customers who, who are probably on lockdown or cocooning or have kind of special needs in terms of contact with the outside world, just checking to see how they are, what they need, if they're okay, is there anything particularly they can get for them. And if, if there is something they can do, then they channel that back through a, a local coordinating group, mainly through the alone charity, and we make sure that, that nobody's left alone. Mm, that sounds brilliant, brilliant altogether. It's a great service. Because, yeah, they are, they've got, I suppose, they, your, your delivery people are so used to spending year, over all their years anyway, going in and out of driveways and chatting to people um, on the doorsteps and all the rest and, and knowing what's going on. And it, you often, you, so many times you hear mention of it. Well, it's the, the unpost employee who noticed that there was something wrong or somebody didn't answer their door or the curtains were closed or whatever. So this is really just um, an extension of that awareness, isn't it? Indeed. It's, 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 a, it's a peculiar situation where people... Uh, our post people are able to uh, provide a very valuable uh, public service just by do doing the job they've always done. Um, mm. And that's a, a bit of a privilege that we've been able to kind of serve in the last, in the last month or so. Um, and you, you put your finger right on it. In many parts of the country, the post person might be the only person who visits the door during the course of an average, average day. So that's a very important bit of human contact and regular contact that's there all the time. And of course, that continues in our in our post offices, where in many cases the, that, that visit to the post office is very, very important for, for people. And we're charged with the responsibility for, for keeping the post offices open and keeping the flow of, of cash through, uh, through our network to, to local communities and to customers. Um, a good chunk of our business are the payment of um, social welfare, pension payments, for example, from the Department of Social Protection. And people want to access the payments, they're their payments, uh, and we're able to uh, have our doors open, enable that for people, let them get cash, let them get out, get a bit of cash, do a bit of shopping, and get home safely. And that's mm -hmm. an important aspect of the work that's been done in post offices in recent weeks. 
Has there been any change in the the, the way people um, visit or what they do or the kind of experiences of your employees in the post offices um, since the restrictions started to kick in, Angus? Well, of course, you have the um, physical distancing um, issue, which is in is in most work, workplaces. So that impacts both on the outside and the inside of the counter. So it means that people have to kind of queue in in new ways, not um, be too close to their fellow customers. Uh, get in, do their business, do it as quickly as possible, do as much of their business in one visit as they can, and then get home as quickly as they can and do so safely. So that does have an impact both for staff and for customers. Um, And it's something we're just getting used to. It is in many cases the new normal for lots of people, um, but it's something you have to do to keep us all safe. Yeah, I suppose your your colleagues in those post offices, of course, are well used to working behind screens, which is kind of a new novelty for um, people in, in the retail trade in, in supermarkets and the likes, But which I presume was something that came in years ago, couldn't um, pinpoint when, but was presumably for security reasons at the time, but now serves the purpose of a little bit of um, uh, protection against infection for your colleagues. Indeed, that's true. And, and ironically, the, the, the newer post offices throughout the country have been doing away with uh, with security screens completely and going for kind of special um, till units where you don't need any, uh, well, there's no access to, really access to cash, which means you do away with security screens. But the impact of COVID has been that those screens are coming back of necessity and to keep us all safe. Mm. And can I go back to the check-in request uh, service that you're, you're promoting now and are offering to, to customers, Angus? Um, I, I see on the, the press release that, that came to us here in Community Radio Kilkenny City that there's a, a link on your um, website on plus.com. You have a community hyphen support page and you can click on to request a check-in. Um, is there any way of, of accessing that service by, by phone? Well, it, it, this was, was given quite an amount of consideration and thought at the outset and and it was felt that the best way was to have a kind of central location and a central way of doing it, whether somebody accesses through the website themselves or they get someone to do it on their behalf. Um, and by far the, the, the clearest and cleanest, the most efficient way was doing it through the website, coming on there, uh, checking in, giving name uh, name and detail, and keeping it secure, of course, uh, in this in this era of, uh, of GDPR and uh, information security. It's the best and safest way to, to, to provide the service. Indeed, so I presume you would have had some interaction with the Data Protection Commissioner or your own Data Protection Absolutely. Officer to clear it all before it was launched. Yeah, so uh, hopefully then there, there, there will be always be some family member or friend or neighbour of an older or vulnerable person um, who might make use of that service who'd be able to go on the internet for them. Um, but I noticed as well you, you also have a, an, another service around keeping people informed and up to date, that's delivering newspapers, which is kind of goes back to this, not like the old thing you used to see in the American movies of the lad cycling around on the bike and throwing the newspapers up the driveway. No, and, and you know, newspaper deliveries in, in particularly in urban areas would have been a feature until quite recent years, but that has, has very much died away. But for you know, two reasons. Um, newspapers are a really valuable source of information and contact for people, whether it be the local newspaper or a national newspaper, a daily newspaper. And of course, these are very, very tough times for the newspapers themselves. Advertising has almost completely dried up virtually overnight. So this was felt uh, as being kind of a, uh, a double win, uh, both enabling people to get newspapers into their homes uh, without having to, to leave their homes at all, and also providing some support for, for newspapers who are hard-pressed at the moment. So again, you, you go on to the Unpost website, pick the newspaper of your choice, make your order, and within a matter of days, that newspaper will be, 
winging its way to your doorstep uh, for you to enjoy with your, your morning tea or whatever. And hopefully um, lots of uh, lots of more uh, newspaper publishers, whether they're dailies or weeklies or Sundays, um, will sign up and kind of partner with you uh, on that. Absolutely. Yeah, great, great service all, all together. We'll have to uh, see, check in and see whether or not uh, the local Kilkenny people can be delivered that way. But uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. And as I said, going back to an old an old practice that you would have had in and around Dublin. Um, you know, one, one of the other things I think, Angus, as everybody will know and um, hear a lot of talk about in, in the current context of the COVID-19 pandemic is the amount of online shopping that's been done. And of course, your staff, delivery staff, postpersons would be involved at the last link of all of that chain in, in a lot of cases. Um, has there been a big change or massive upsurge that you've seen in um, parcels and packages and stuff passing through the sorting offices? There, there has indeed, Morris. I mean, um, our lives have changed kind of hugely in the last the last month or so. We're now confined into our homes and into a two-kilometre um, units around our, around our homes. So people are increasingly going online for a lot of the shopping, whether that's online in stores, throughout Kilkenny or, or you know, across the country. And we've seen a huge growth in the amount of online business that's coming through our mail centres in the last four weeks or so. Um, in the mail centres, they're talking about a level of business now that's akin to the normal Christmas rush. Um, it's, it's that heavy. Um, mm. And a range of, of products from, from books uh, to household items, dog food, you name it, is currently being... Uh, being processed through mail centres all over the country. You're listening to Kilkenny Today, sponsored by Walsh's Toyota, the name you can trust. Yes, and that was Morris O'Connor there speaking to Public Affairs Manager with On Post, Agnes Lafferty, about the services that On Post provide. And they provide more than just uh, delivering letters and parcels to your door to deliver company and reassurance, especially for the elderly people living in rural areas of Ireland. And uh, that is where I have to leave it for another Kilkenny today. Thanks to Sean Minahan, the CEO of of a loan and also to Gillian Fanning, the new president of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry and to um, Morris O'Connor who was speaking to Agnes Lafferty who is the public affairs manager with On Post and also Morris was speaking to Mervyn Taylor who is the executive director of Sage Advocacy Ireland and in relation to the issue of next of kin. Uh, thanks to Morris O'Connor for co-producing the show today and to Kevin Lee Farr for technical support. Uh, stay tuned for more great programmes coming up after me. We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM.